0: Exploring the history of cannabis culture. One artifact
1: and interview at a time. This is Canthropology. Presented by the World of Cannabis Museum Project. With your host, World of Cannabis Executive Director... Bobby Black. All right, greetings, fellow cannabis enthusiasts, and welcome to another edition of Canthropology, the podcast that explores the history of cannabis culture, one artifact and interview at a time. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Black. Well, the month of April is upon us once again, and that means that April 20th, or 420, is just around the corner, the annual high holiday celebrated by cannabis lovers everywhere. But how exactly did 420 become the official number of marijuana? There's been a lot of speculation and myths surrounding it over the years, but believe it or not, the ultimate marijuana meme actually began with a group of five high school buddies in Marin County, California back in the early 70s, who called themselves the Waldos. How it evolved from an inside joke amongst a handful of teenagers into the worldwide phenomenon it is today is truly a remarkable story one that you are about to hear told by some of the founding fathers of 420 themselves. I'm delighted to have as my guests today two of the five original Waldos, Dave Reddix and Steve Capper, a.k.a. Waldo Dave and Waldo Steve. Guys, welcome to Canthropology. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having us. So uh, let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Um, Tell everybody, who were the Waldos and what were they all about?
0: Well, you know, the Waldos, we were all uh, a group of friends who really enjoyed humor and hanging out uh, together. And we were getting tired of this uh, Friday night high school football scene and going to parties. So uh, uh, we started going on things called safaris uh, that we coined because we wanted to to meet strange and interesting uh, people and do weird things. And uh, Steve uh, was reading... Uh, Rolling Stone magazine at a point and uh, tell them what you you, you got at that.
2: At that time, nobody read Rolling Stone. Nobody really knew about it. It was a very counterculture publication. And uh, my brother who's a few years older than us had it in the house. And uh, I was reading one article about uh, the very first people who were developing holograms. And by the way, in 1971, three dimensional images made out of laser light. That was like star Wars. I mean, we couldn't even imagine anything like that. Yeah. And, uh, so, and it said that these guys were, they were down towards Silicon Valley. They were working on it like seven days a week around the clock that they had built an entire holographic city. And, uh, wow. and, you know, I'm thinking, well, screw the football game. I got to check that out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah you know we, we we were basically basically kind of a, a a scouting field trip you know you'd go off and do strange things well this time we we're getting high and it's a scouting field trip running off doing weird things so one night i went down knocked on the back door of the labs there and say hey can i see your holographic city and they're like yeah come on in they're happy to see some young person interested in what they were doing so it was completely amazing i came back to Santa Fe, Santa Fe high uh rejoined my buddies and said, Hey, you got to see this. So the next week we all went down, got high and met and hung out with the scientists and we had them laughing. They were hugging us and t- telling us to come back. And uh, that was the first unusual adventure <laughs> called a safari. And from there, it was our mission to every week, try and figure out a new unusual thing to do.
0: Cool. cool. That we, could get, we could get stoned it and then go experience it, you know? So yeah, we, we challenged each other to come up with new safaris every week. Yeah. And uh, so we did all kinds of, we went to all kinds of places, hospitals, <laughs> you know, <emergency. laughs>
2: well, we did, we did, we did some dangerous things. we were, climbing out underneath the girders, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, and jumping around in the painter's nets like they were trampolines. Uh, We were uh, infiltrating uh, the Hamilton Air Force Base, which was like at wartime, full war footing. (laughs) Vietnam was still going on at that time. Yeah, like like James Bond. Actually, we would even put on James Bond music to set the mood before (laughs) we
0: would infiltrate the base.
1: That's awesome.
0: So we stuck into this a hangar one time and these guys were going, what are you guys doing here? We said, Oh, we just, we're just interested in what you're doing here, the mechanics. And so they took us around and gave us a tour and, and and we charmed them as usual. And they showed us everything they were doing and they, you know, they're all come on back anytime you want. Just like at the holographic museum. They, 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 they were showing us
2: detail right underneath all the fighter jets showing all around bombs and rockets and missiles showing us how, how they load the missiles and bombs onto the, onto the fighter jets and stuff. Crazy. (laughs) I guess, I guess they could figure out we were 16, 17 year old stone kids and we we weren't a, a
1: (laughs) A threat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to take things uh, a step back uh, from the safari for a second uh, and just get a little more background. So you guys all went to San Rafael high school. Uh, This was in the early seventies, correct? What years were you guys Uh, there?
0: Uh, I was there from 1970 to 73, and Steve left an er- a year earlier.
2: I, I, I uh, entered uh, Center for High School 68 and graduated in 72. But then then I just went off to nearby College of Marin, which was a, a junior college, and so I was still constantly hanging out with the Waldos, and we were, continued to do things from there.
1: Yeah. So did you guys meet and in high not- school, or did you know each other before that?
0: We met in, like, junior high school through a mutual friend, Waldo Mark. You Actually, the Waldo Mark, I knew
2: him since I was six years old. We, we lived just around the corner. We were in, in, you know, in the neighborhood riding around on our stingrays, uh, bicycles or whatever. So, yeah, we know each other going way back.
1: Yeah. All right. So you guys uh, became, like, a little bit of a clique in high school. You guys were friends. You all hung out together. And then tell us how the name The Walt- Waldos came about.
0: Well, in the middle of Sandra Fe High School, there's a campus. there's a wall in the uh, you know the lunch quadrant there where all the benches were, and it was stacked right against the uh, the main building. and we would meet there uh, almost daily between breaks, and we'd hang out and do impressions of people walking by and try to crack each other up and make jokes. And we had a great time doing that stuff. We did,
2: uh, especially we all did, and Dave was the master
0: impersonations
2: of like everybody. I mean, we're talking everybody, every every teacher, students, uh, parents, uh, your, your your whatever your landlord, uh, I don't know who your girlfriend. <laughs> everybody turned into a, an impersonation, and with those impersonations, there was always a catchphrase, you know, with the impersonation. So we came up with. <laughs> Hundreds of catchphrases, and by the time 420 came along, that was just kind of like another catchphrase. You know, it, gotcha. it's just something, just something to add to our inventory stock of catchphrases. <laughs> by the way, at our website, which is 420waldos.com, we have about right now. There's about 40 of those catchphrases. It explains what they are. There's even audio clips uh of the the catchphrase. You can hear them. Uh, that 420 was just an accidental worldwide viral breakout of that inventory. That's the joke that keeps yeah. on giving.
1: <laughs>
0: we didn't realize at the time we were creating history, we were just having fun. Of we course. Were like, <laughs> we were kind of like the guys on the back of the wall with chisels, cracking uh, crack in the wall and letting some light into the room for straight people. And what they saw was a lot of fun and, uh, and a uh, you know, it was, a lot
2: of, a lot, it was a lot of satire, you know, just yeah. private joke, satire stuff. And, of course, uh, when 420 came along as our private joke, it was also, as needed, a useful tool to communicate about marijuana in an era of heavy drug suppression.
1: Do you remember the first time you, you ever got high? Do, can you tell us about your first experience smoking weed?
0: Oh, yeah. Sure. Dave, do you want to go first? Sure. I was... Uh... I think I was like, it's like 1969. I'm walking around the neighborhood with my buddy Rick and my older brother, Roger pulls up in his uh, 65 Valiant station wagon with his hippie buddies. And they had a jug of this wine called Red Mountain. It was a big gallon jug. He's all get in the car. I'm all what? He's all get in the car. So we got in the car and he's all take a slug of this wine here. And then, okay. And he said, now take a puff of this hash here. So we smoked some hash with him, and we got really high. And then Roger says, get out. And I'm all, what? He drops us off in, in front of my my mom's uh, parents' house. And we're all, we can't go in there. So we walked around for like a couple hours until we could go home. And that's the first time for me. Uh,
2: this is uh, Waldo Steve. I, I was working, my dad was a clothing manufacturer in San Francisco, right downtown. So every summer, I worked for him. Um, and during the summer of love, 1967, uh, I was working for him down there and like me and my buddy would work for my dad on Monday through Thursday. But then Friday morning, we'd come in at nine o'clock, get our paychecks and head, get on a bus, go straight to the Haight-Ashbury and hang out all day long for all the fun and weird things going on there. And, uh, so I'm sitting there in the Haight-Ashbury one day on, on a bench there and I look on the sidewalk and I see a a long stem red rose just sitting on the sidewalk. So I picked it up and then I see a girl coming along, a woman, and I, as she comes up to the bench, I give it to her. I go, Hey, this is for you. And she goes, wow, that's wonderful. Thank you. She goes, and I have something for you. And she opened up her purse and she gave me a bag of weed. I'm sitting there with it in my hand. I'm 13 (laughs) years old. I don't know what to do
1: with it. So
2: anyway, I held on to that weed for a couple of years. And then when we finally decided it was time to get high, me and my buddy, Kurt Zart, we were, uh, lived at the top of a hill. We smoked the magical weed imbued with the uh, all the energy from the 67 hate, hate ashbury Summer of Love. That weed, we smoked it. And I remember just as soon as I took a hit, we started walking down a steep hill. And the hill was just like squishing back and forth wildly.
1: So that was my
2: first time. That's
1: it's a, a that, mag- magical weed. That is one of the coolest first uh, first smoking stories I've heard. <laughs> so very, very cool.
2: One thing about the Haight-Ashbury, we, we'd we be sitting on the bench there, and they had tours for people from the Midwest to come to San Francisco and see the freaks. They called the hippies freaks. <laughs> so when we see them in the bus and yeah, the windows, they're turning at the foot of Haight Street down by Golden Gate Park, and we see them coming up the street. We take little mirrors and hold it up to the bus so they can see the real freaks themselves. <laughs>
0: Yeah, at the time, you know, I, I went to the Haight with my brothers and our family to go check out the whole scene there and the tour buses and and when our friends came into town, uh, we had a convertible. We'd take them down to the Haight Ashbury to look at all the hippies.
1: <laughs> yeah. I imagine it was quite an attraction. America had never seen anything like that before.
2: You know what? It was there was it was so so interesting, so wonderful. No racism. No prejudice, no class distinction. Uh, Everybody was so kind and friendly to each other. And every there was creativity flowing everywhere and everybody supported everybody else's creativity. It was just this utopian for one summer, utopian, wonderful environment in the clean, you know, glitter, sparkled air of San Francisco is an incredible thing.
1: God, we could show sure you some of that now these days, couldn't we? Man. <laughs> yeah. We need another summer of love. We need another hippie revolution in this country for sure. <laughs> yeah, it would be good. Yeah. Um, I was curious about the weed that you guys were smoking back in uh, at, at San Rafael High. Uh, Were you guys just – were you getting any of the good classic strains there or was it mostly just Mexican brick weed?
0: Well, a lot of it was Mexican brick weed, but also there was no alcapulco gold um, – some others, what were they? Pan- Panama Red. Panama Red, Alcapulco Al- Gold, Zagatigan. Those were the good strains, but mostly, you know, you'd buy a bag of wheat for like 10 bucks and they call it a five finger bag. So that's how tall the bag was. Nobody weighed it, you know, they'd say, oh, it's a five finger bag. That'll be $10, you know. So it was, there was, there's good weed, but there's also a lot of bad weed too. But there were so many. Seeds and stems in there. It was you know it took a long time cleaning it up.
2: Yeah, and that's that's something that uh, generations these days, people go into a store and buy buds. They really don't understand how much time we were cleaning <laughs> the weed, <laughs> how, how much seeds and stems. I mean, all the time, almost every time. You didn't just get buds. It was a a major project to, to clean the stuff, and you always worried about dropping seeds everywhere. And You're worried about one seed dropping in your car and getting busted for one seed. By the way, joint rolling—you rolled joints, was, you know—that that was such an art and a nece- you know, necessary thing. There weren't a trillion pipes out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, paraphernalia was was limited for sure. So, did you guys? You guys used to smoke on the wall, or did you smoke? Uh, wh- where did you guys smoke when you were at school?
0: Uh, we smoked at uh, the Louis Pasteur statue.
2: Wait, That was before running off to see, uh, running off to search for the marijuana thing. Yeah, he's but just asking
0: a specific question there. Yeah,
2: you might you might take
0: a hit uh, at you know after school at at Louis Pasteur, but during school you didn't. During school, one time when I was a senior, I was in an art class with my bud Waldo Larry, and we were painting, and we were both student, uh, teacher assistants, and there was only. There was nobody in the room and it was a basement uh, room right below where the wall was uh, connected to the main building. And we were, I, I pulled out a joint and I started smoking it in class while we we're painting. And my, our gay art teacher, Chuck Maurice comes in the room and is all, Oh my God, you guys, you, I could get busted for this. What are you doing? And then he goes, can you get me some?
2: <laughs> yeah. Hey, did, did you or Mark, go up in that tree right next to the wall and smoke way up there.
0: Oh yeah. They'd have rallies right in front of the main high school building with the columns, you know, the Greek columns, they'd have football rallies and they had this big, huge pine tree on the right side at lunchtime. They'd have a rally and we'd climb up the top of this tree and we would get high while this, this, this rally was going on and laugh at all the jocks down below us.
1: That's funny. So, uh, you talked earlier about the safaris, and, and you mentioned the, the, the Louis uh, Pasteur statue. Why did you guys have a statue of Pasteur, just out of curiosity, at the school?
2: They're not really sure how the school ever got the statue. I mean, there's no definitive story how the school uh, got the statue. And uh, I think there were, at one point, I think even the guy who created the statue, Benny Bufano, a very famous sculptor, uh, I think he was even kind of confused and upset that somehow the school ended up with a statue. It's there today. They, <laughs> they remodeled like 85 percent of the school. They took the statue away for their modeling. But thank God they brought it back. So it's there now. It just doesn't have the all the redwood
0: trees around it that it used to have. Oh. And uh, Louis is actually the, the sixth Waldo.
1: <laughs> yeah for sure um okay so uh like i said you already had talked about your the safaris uh how you guys used to go off and that that was uh those safaris were in your if i if i remember reading correctly your 1966 powder blue chevy impala is that right steve
2: as a green with a green with a black top as a four-door chevy impala a little okay. embarrassing wasn't anything you impressed the girls with <laughs> but you could you could certainly fit you know six people in there driving around and getting stoned and it had a huge trunk which the speakers in the back allowed the entire trunk to be a baffle which gave you a huge rich sound for music and we had music on a hundred percent of the time that we were driving around of course
0: 71 incredible music
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, guys like the,
0: the New Riders of the Purple Sage, Santana, Grateful Dead, Bob Dylan. We we were totally into the Beatles, too. So we listened to all those guys all yeah. the time.
2: Everything of that era, everything that came out of uh, Britain. Of course, Bay Area was incredible amount of music. Yeah. So much came out of it. Everything coming out of Southern California. Uh, yeah, there's music. It absolutely punctuated everything we did
1: yeah absolutely just just uh just on, on a personal note, I just wanted to, I had a seventy three Impala when I was younger, and I love that car. It was like it was like a boat. it just drove like a dream, <laughs> but uh, it was
0: it was They're so large it was like a couch in the back seat,
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> you know,
2: I was just writing up for our website the other day how if there was some kind of upbeat music we, as we'd be driving, we kind of be bobbing our heads, and as the car was going by, you could see a car going by with a bunch of heads bobbing in the window line.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, so I read that uh, also that you had two rules for your safaris. One was that uh, you had to be stoned, and the other was that whatever you did, it had to be something new. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yes.
1: So these safaris were going on for, for I don't know how long, weeks, months, or whatever, and, and then... Oh, years. Years, <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, at some point, uh, it was a very special safari—one that involved a a treasure map that helped actually inspire the birth of the four t- uh, term 420. Was it not? Tell us all about that.
2: Uh, that was in 1971, and that was we're in high school. Uh, sitting on the wall, the Waldo's hanging out there, and then one day, a friend of mine. This is Waldo Steve here. Uh, his name was Bill McNulty. Came up to me. And he had a piece of paper. He goes, hey, my, my brother-in-law, he actually said it was his brother at the time. We found out years later it was his brother-in-law. He said, my brother is in the U.S. Coast Guard out at the Point Reyes Peninsula, which was about maybe 40 minutes to an hour west of the high school. Uh, there was a lighthouse out there. And it was a Coast Guard station. The guys would, uh, you know, maintain the lighthouse. He said, my brother-in-law is out there in the Coast Guard, and he's been growing some pot and he's afraid him maybe some other guys and and he was afraid that he was going to be busted uh he got some wind that he might be busted so they wanted to abandon the growing project and they decided that we could pick it bill mcnulty and his buddies us and uh, made a map for us to go find it so we decided to certainly hey go find the free
0: weed and And, uh You know, some of us had after school activities like uh, Jeff was the manager of the football team and Larry was a a bench warmer on the team. And uh, so we decided we'd meet after school on the campus at the statue of Louis Pasteur and meet there at 420 p.m. And we 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 remind each other in the hallways all day. We would we'd see each other in the holidays and we'd smile. We go 420 Louis. So we met there. We got high that first day. We drove out to Point Reyes. We we searched. Uh, this map was kind of uh, crappy, uh, <laughs> and we didn't know who had drawn it. But we searched high and low out there, and we didn't find it. But like Steve said, we kept on going out there uh, almost daily for several weeks. And and, and like you said, we, we remind each other in the hallways, 420 Louis. And, and so, yeah, 420 Louis. And we'd meet, and then we'd go out there and search. And after so many weeks, uh, we decided, well, you know, it's it's getting late here in the fall. And uh, and we decided, well, we're not finding this thing. But we realized we had a secret code we could use uh, in front of our parents, cops, teachers, uh, friends, whoever. We could use this little phrase, 420 without Louie. Just 420. You just
1: dropped the our- Louie, right. Right. Yeah, and for for the benefit of our younger listeners who may not uh, completely understand why a secret code for cannabis was so important, let me just remind them all about how how illegal it really was at that time and how stiff the penalties were. What you could get like uh, you could get like a decade in prison for like a joint, right?
0: Yes, we yeah. knew that, and and we're always you know on the, you know looking over our shoulders for cops driving everywhere, you know. Uh, it was we were you know we were a furtive uh, bunch of uh, renegades trying to hide our weed smoking, and scoring was always on our minds. Continuous around the
2: clock efforts at hiding these <laughs> running off to secret smoking spots, uh, constantly looking for cops. The authority, the uh, you know the, the the paranoia, the fear. There's teamwork and cooperation and coordination for hiding secret meetings to purchase and sell marijuana. Uh, there's in, in automobiles, there's, there's, where are you hiding it? You're never sure that you're hiding it in the best places. And is there going to be one seed on the floor that's going to get you busted? Just one marijuana seed. Uh, yeah, there was a lot, lot of energy into it. And, 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 and like
1: you say, the consequences were very real. And, and on top yeah. of all that, wasn't Waldo Jeff's dad, a narcotics agent? Yeah, he was one of the top agents in <laughs> San
0: Francisco, and his dad used to bring home, you know, all kinds of uh, samples from the bus he made. And he, he kept them in his trunk and Jeff would get the keys to his car and he'd, he'd get <laughs> some of the weed and we'd smoke it. And his dad, one time he caught us smoking the weed in a little uh, in a little garden shack behind the house. We had an electric pipe and we were smoking with that. And he showed up and the Waldo's all jumped out the little windows and spread <laughs> everywhere. And Jeff's dad caught him and he really paid a price for that. Uh, his, his dad was a nice guy, but, you know, he was afraid, you know, he could lose his job and his reputation because of his son. Sure. Uh, actually, I've been
2: uh, coordinating with Jeff to get more details lately. His dad was actually the highest level narcotics guy in Northern California. He went out, he, he only busted huge stuff and celebrity busts. I don't know if I should mention who some of these people were, wow. but but uh, no, he was extremely high level. Uh, uh, Jeff said he was always trying to figure out what 420 meant. He thought he was trying to break it like a, a secret war, you know, spy code. He never <laughs> he could never, could never figure it out.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Alright, I need to take a quick break for uh, commercials, but please stick around because we'll be right back with the Waldos here on Canthropology. All right, and we are back. Uh, Our guests this week are Waldo Dave and Waldo Steve of the Waldos, the founding fathers of 420. Um, So before the break, uh, we were talking about how 420 had uh, developed. You guys had developed it as your secret code for weed, and this was going on for years that you were using this code to make sure that people didn't know when you were referring to getting weed or going to get high. Um, and then at some point, it starts to go beyond just your group of friends. Uh, and and the way that it seems it really began to spread was through the Grateful Dead scene. And this is because you guys had some personal uh, relationships and connections to the dead, right? Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: Steve, why don't you tell them about Mark? So Waldo, Mark's dad, was a Marin County real estate broker. And he worked... With with the Grateful Dead, the Grateful Dead had a big organization based right there in Santa Fe, where, you know, we went to Santa Fe High School, that's their hometown. So the Grateful Dead, they have, you know, people in their organization, they need office space, they need rehearsal space, they need places to store their equipment. Um, When they, everybody in the whole dead organization was making good money, so they would buy, and he found them all those places, places to rehearsal, new office space. And uh, when They would make money. They would buy homes in the Marin County Hills. And you'd say, hey, this certain band member needs somebody to babysit their their house and take care of their pets. So uh, there'd be uh, sitting jobs. So Mark's dad and we were around them always. Mark was always his dad was getting this onto the guest list to go to. You know, we were always backstage or on stage, always using the term 420 around that group and the Grateful right. Dead picked it up. So now there's another angle with Dave. Go ahead, Dave.
0: Yeah, my brother Patrick uh, was good friends with Phil Lesh for 50 years. And at the, the time... and For young people that
2: don't know, he was the bassist for the
0: Grateful, yeah. Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so at the time, 1975, uh, the dead were on hiatus from touring and uh Phil uh, started a couple side bands one was called too loose to truck and sea stones and uh Phil asked Pat uh, uh if he could manage uh, the two bands and Pat said sure and he hired me to be the roadie and uh I was backstage a lot of the time with these guys like Phil and uh, David Crosby and Terry Haggerty getting high and and using the term 420, and they're all kind of chuckling at it and thought it was cool. And uh, at the time, you know, there was other deadheads in the scene, and they were picking it up, and it started spreading. Uh, And at one of those sessions, I was getting high uh, with uh, Crosby and Lesh and my brother Pat, and Pat was just choking his lungs out coughing on a bong and crosby walks over to me and says man your brother's crazy and i was thinking david crosby's calling my brother crazy (laughs) yeah and so i had all kinds of experiences like that so it started weaving through the deadhead community and uh that's where it started really picking up some steam
1: yeah and then also i i i saw that uh other students, younger students at San Rafael High, after you guys were gone even, uh, also began picking up the code. And they were the ones who started uh, kind of doing this ritual of um, a- 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 and created this flyer. Inviting people to gather at the top of Mount. Uh, and correct me if I. i
0: Tamal Pius
1: Tamal Pius in, uh, in Marin on April twentieth, and and blaze up at four twenty. So this this ritual emerged out of your four twenty code, and basically spread throughout the whole Bay Area. Really, right?
0: Yeah, you know, like our our younger brothers, our friends, and family members, they all picked up on it. And uh, it spread that way as well as through the Grateful Dead. And then and the, it was a generational thing, you know, and it became a, a thing where students at Santa Fe High, the heads were proud to be part of 420 history in the later years. It, it just went from class to class. A couple of years when, uh, when I was into college,
2: I'd come home and I'd pick up a student hitchhiking, uh, you know, after school. And I'd say, you know what 420 means? And they're all, yeah and i go you know where that started and then it somehow quickly evolved into it's a police code for being busted for marijuana <laughs> and i'm like no that's not it and by the way I, and by the way i've done extensive research there are no codes anywhere related to 420 having anything to do with anything having to do with marijuana whether they're city codes or state codes it just doesn't exist that's that was probably the biggest fallacy
0: yeah. of how 420 4, and 4, so That flyer you're talking about, that was in 1991, I believe, and uh, uh, not Hager, but uh, Steve Bloom. Steve Bloom. Steve Bloom. Yeah. Steve Bloom, an article about that, and that's when High Times kind of latched on to 420, and started using it in its lexicon.
1: Yeah. So it was. Yeah. So it was in, like you said, December, I think, of 1990, that Steve Bloom went to that dead show in Oakland. Uh, he was handed the flyer and, uh, I- I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a little part of it. It says, uh, there's something fantastic about getting ripped at 420 when you know your brothers and sisters all over the country and even the planet are lighting up and toking up right along with you. Uh, we're talking about a day of celebration, the real time to get high. The Grandmaster of All Holidays, 420 or April 20th. So that, that flyer is the one that kind of established the day as, as a holiday. And like you said, Bloom came back to the office, and in, in the May 91 issue of High Times, he, he wrote that, the, that first story about it, but he wasn't aware of the origins yet. And after that article, and actually before the article, we
0: had been seeing 420 sprayed on you know signs and walls and carved into benches and uh one day larry schwartz called up steve and he says hey man i'm seeing this stuff everywhere we gotta we gotta get our names on record uh, as you know people to coin this term so uh, steve contacted uh high uh, 420 tours and uh which which was uh affiliated with high times at the time and they said no you don't want to talk to us you want to talk to the editor of high times at the time was Steve Hager. So uh, Steve contacted him. Hager says, well, do you have any proof of your claim? He said, yeah, we do. He said, okay, uh, I will come out and visit you. He got a lot of shit from the people at uh, High Times not believing our story.
1: Yeah, I, and I, I remember uh, I was working at High Times at the time, and I remember when all that went down. So you, he flew out and met you guys, and, and like you actually took him around and, and showed him everything.
0: He came out here one weekend in uh, Oh, 98 uh, in the spring, and he hung out with us. We showed us all our proof and uh, took him to all the places we used to hang at. Uh, We called them offices, like up on the top of Mount Tam, uh, (laughs) down at Lake Lagunitas, all these different places. We drove him all over the place, even out to Point Reyes. And uh, then he went back and he wrote his article.
1: So he was the first journalist to interview you about it, and and that was the first official published account of, of the story, right?
0: right absolutely and, then, and it came out in december 98 i believe and uh he went on abc tv after that and proclaimed us uh, as the creators of 420 with the proof we had shown him and that was the beginning and
2: then from there huffington post came in and did a very extensive
0: uh thorough investigation and and it just but that sp- that was years later huffington post before that after that it was like the la times did a front-page story on us, and you know the years went by.
2: But actually, on our website, um, there's a section called News and Media. There's like hundreds of these interviews that we've done over the years yeah. with with edited media that want to make sure they're getting the real, you know,
1: real stuff. <laughs> yeah, and like I like I mentioned to you guys, uh, I started working at High Times in the fall of '94. Uh, I was still in college. And uh, I remember when we started talking about 420 in the office and we started seeing these 420-related products and started uh, adopting the practice of smoking at 420 ourselves. And then uh, we also started holding our own little celebrations on April 20th. Uh, Steve Bloom actually uh, recounted in one of his articles over the years about the topic, about how one year we uh, he and a bunch of the high time staff walked over to Union Square Park in New York, where our offices were and blazed up a bunch of joints at four twenty in the middle of the park, which was, Pretty ballsy at the time, considering that New York was the kind of the marijuana arrest capital of the world at the time. And uh, just uh, just for the record, I can confirm that I was one of those staffers that was out there smoking. Um, not that we needed an excuse to go smoke, you know. But uh, the the thing about four twenty is it, it became a ritual and it became something that was uniquely ours as stoners, which was really cool. It's a real
0: personal uh, I- thing, you know. It's it's getting together with your brothers and sharing common interests. And a common uh, cultural interest, you know, after
2: it spread from uh, Marin County, it it spread. Of course, you know, there were gatherings at the University of Santa Cruz. But the biggest gatherings where really media started to take note was the University uh, of Colorado at Boulder there where they they'd have, you know, all of a sudden there were 20,000 people out on the field smoking. (laughs) And the police were helpless to control that. So they just let it go and everybody, this brotherhood of people enjoying without fear of being busted, that set off, uh, well, the media, of course, was paying attention to these huge gatherings. And before, the media were pretty, high times covered it, but the mainstream media were pretty closed lipped about marijuana legalization. And this all of a sudden created a, 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 a forum for all the mainstream media to start talking about marijuana legalization. So April 20th, was kind of a catalyst to the end of prohibition in 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 that way.
0: Yeah, it wasn't solely the catalyst but part of it, you know.
1: Sure, sure. And so so 420 started getting all this national media attention uh and then you guys started like you said getting interviewed a lot and getting a lot of uh attention. And uh and then there was a little bit of a kind of a backlash because I read that uh some other groups of people were starting to um Call bullshit on you and claim credit for themselves, including some of your former classmates who called themselves the Beebs. They accused you of stealing the idea from them. What was that all about?
0: Uh, that was all about them hoaxing. Uh one thing about all these 420 claimers that they have in common is none of them have a shred of proof to their claim. We're the only ones on this planet that have physical proof backed up by facts. So all these people that are saying, oh, we started this and they they didn't, are full of shit. Something, something that happened 50 years ago in a time when everybody was very, very
2: stoned. Anybody can make up anything. I go, oh, I was a golf caddy for Winston Churchill.
0: And because I said it, <laughs> it's true. You know? and, and, that's, it's, and that's what the internet has done. It's... Uh, it's open a forum for anybody to say bullshit about anybody, and people, you know, if you keep, you know, saying it long enough, some people start believing it. But we deal in a world of facts. One,
2: one, one thing they said was there was never any Coast Guardsman who was growing the weed. The, the Waldo's never went out to look for that weed. And at that point, I'm like, well, screw that. I, I all of a sudden, I'd be got on a mission. To go find the Coast Guardsman. I mean, we never met him back in the 70s. It was just our friend's brother. Yeah. But a mission oh, go find the Coast Guardsman and get his military records to prove <laughs> that he was in the Coast Guard at Point Reyes in 1971, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a long story. It took years and years, but we do have 166 pages of Coast Guard records, et cetera, et cetera, to back all this stuff up.
0: Also, the his brother in law, Pat McNulty, uh, we contacted him and it was a long road to finding him. But in the end, we all got together, went out to Point Reyes. I shot a little documentary with uh, Patrick and Gary Newman, the uh, the author of the, the map.
1: Coast Guardsman, yeah.
0: Yeah. The Coast ex Coast Guardsman. And what we found out was that in seventy one his term with the Coast Guard was out over, but he was still stationed out there at Point Reyes on a a, a ranch, and he knew they weren't going to harvest that patch, and that's why he gave the, uh, the the map to his brother-in-law.
1: Yeah,
2: we keep all this physical evidence proof in a huge vault <laughs> in uh, at, at, at Wells Fargo Bank World Headquarters. Where is it, Dave?
0: What's the address?
1: It's located at 420 Montgomery Street. <laughs> You can't make this stuff up, right? Uh, Truth is stranger than fiction.
0: A lot of
2: the stuff in our story, it's like, it's
1: almost unbelievable
2: that Jeff's father was a high-level narcotics officer, you know, the highest in in Northern California, and his son creates 420. I mean
1: unbelievable stuff yeah it's it's pretty amazing and some of the so some of the other evidence you guys have is you have a bunch of school newspaper clippings and transcripts you have postmark letters and you have this really cool like tie-dye kind of flag uh i saw yeah. uh can you tell us a little about that flag
2: yeah uh i had a friend uh, ken blumenthal till this day we, we still talk every week uh he had a friend named patty patty young and she and he kept telling her about all these weird things the Waldos were doing, all these safari adventures, all these cliche, uh, catchphrases we were making up and everything. And she thought it was incredible. She had to do an art project. She, she decided to make this 420 batik kind of tie dye kind of flag that says it says 420 on it. It's got this other phrase that we used to use called a yacht. It's got a, a marijuana leaf on it. So you can see 420 has something to do with marijuana. And she presented that to us, and we have it to this day. Um, There's different, well, first of all, I got her school records to show the the art class where she created the flag, which we have. The flag itself, you could take a piece of the flag, and it can be dated because of the degradation of the the dyes in the flag. And then she also, when I went away to college, she wrote me a letter, a postmark letter, early 70s, which refers to the flag. So there's multiple pieces that ties his flag in but it's gorgeous it's pretty cool it's on the website yeah. and it's
0: and fun. i wrote i wrote steve a letter uh in the you know mid 70s he was at college and i was at college in marin and i told him about uh being a a, a roadie for my uh, phil lesch's bands and getting high with crosby and lesch and I wrote that letter and I rolled up a doobie and I smashed it down flat and put it in the letter and sent it to him off in college. And uh there's more proof right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I gotta ask, what happened to the original treasure map? Did it survive or was it lost to history?
2: No, no, we don't we don't have it.
1: Uh that uh, w- <laughs> that would have been a good little keepsake, but it's okay. Yeah. You guys have plenty of other evidence. So
2: actually Paty, the uh, uh, one of the guys, who, one of the two brothers that was there to receive the map created like a little recreation of it. But it makes no sense. You know, yeah. <laughs> at this state. I have his little recreation of it.
0: And also Pat and his brother have both passed since then. Uh, but we wanted to make sure it was on the record, uh, this story through Pat. So we had him uh, give an affidavit and swear to it. And we have it uh, notarized. Yeah, oh, right. a, a recounting
2: recount of the story. Yeah. Oh,
0: we have we have proof that none of these other claimers have, and uh, what we've created is a whole cult of four hundred and twenty claimers now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it's amazing. We live in a crazy age with uh, with internet misinformation and stuff. It's uh, it's pretty pretty insane. Um, uh, I got to take another quick break, but please don't go away because we'll be right back with more from the Waldos here on Canthropology. All right, welcome back to the show. Our guests this uh, episode are once again... Uh, Waldo Steve and Waldo Dave of the Founding Fathers of 420, the Waldos. So since 420 blew up and became this this phenomenon, I read that originally you guys were kind of reluctant to claim it because, because of the illegality. You were kind of reluctant to come out, or at least some of you were. Um, but eventually, uh, it seems like you all you all kind of were comfortable with coming out. Um, and since then, you, you've uh, you've started a company, right, Waldo LLC, and launched a number of 420 related projects yourself.
0: Yeah, we had a uh, bake pen a few years ago with a company in Oakland, and uh, we donated all the profits to uh, the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, and uh, we have also a beer with Loganitas Brewing. In Petaluma, California, they're also located in Chicago, and they make a beer that we picked the hops to uh, replicate uh, the dankest marijuana buds you could ever find. <laughs> and we've had, that, yeah, we've had that beer going with them for the last ten years. It's Faganitas
2: Brewery, which was bought out by Heineken. It's a seasonal beer; they start brewing it about a month or two before April twentieth. Yeah, and.
0: It comes out every year, and it's called Waldo Special Ale.
1: Yeah, the, I, I read uh, that it's, it's a triple IPA, and they call it the dankest, hoppiest beer ever brewed. Um, the, the Lagunitas guys are great. They actually used to send the high-time staff free beer all the time to our office and to all of our events for the staff, which was really cool. They're a very cool bunch of guys. Um, and they even released like a little comic book with the beer, right, To kind of told your story.
0: Yeah, we, we had that comic book. The, the artwork in that is so cool.
1: Yeah. Speaking of artwork, I read that you guys also uh, recently partnered with legendary Grateful Dead poster artist Stanley Mouse to produce an NFT honoring the origin of 420. That's pretty badass. Can you tell us how that came about?
0: Well, uh, Waldo Larry, he's in the printing business and he knows Stanley Mouse and he proposed uh, to him, hey, why don't you make a, a poster for us and we'll put it up as an NFT and he kind of reluctantly agreed to because Stanley at the time says, you know what NFT means or stands for? And Miller says, no, what? And he says, nothing fucking there. <laughs> so he made this really cool poster for us driving in the Impala and getting high, and driving off a cliff at Point Reyes. Uh, the NFT didn't really sell very well. But uh, we're thinking about printing up the posters and getting a run uh, through Larry and having Stanley sign the posters yeah which would be really
1: cool that would be fantastic as uh, I could see those uh being very popular as a matter of fact I'd like to put my name on the waiting list for one of those signed uh, posters uh right now um also you guys did a uh you guys did like a a, a series of 420 watches that had like the the time 420 kind of uh, uh marked on the watch right
2: well We we didn't. We didn't do that. Waldo Larry again, to a guy who had been in the very successful watch business, and he just got to be in his bonnet. He wanted to do this watch, (laughs) and uh, so he 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 did it. I thought he was, uh, you know, I don't know what how many he was going to sell, but he did it. It's still there. He he got inventory. He would still like to sell them, but we're not really we're
1: We're not associated with that. Okay. Okay. So you guys are still friends, right? You still do you guys still 420 together? Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: not all of us, but you know, we're not daily users. We yeah. still partake at uh, and you know for, you know, parties or whatever get-togethers. <laughs> we're, we're we're
2: we're all family. I mean, we we've been to every every uh, birth, graduation, bat mitzvah, you, you, whatever it was, we we're oh, weddings uh parents' deaths everything we've been there for each other all along we talk every week almost pretty much every day still we're, we're all up in our 60s and we're still very okay. tightly you know tight friends uh, we go out and do stuff we go ski we go do different things we're still doing safaris wow yeah, <laughs> we still we still crack each other up every day we we can call each other up anytime morning noon night and instantly crack each other up. It's all based on our love of humor and making each other laugh.
1: That's amazing. What do you guys do now? Uh, I, I assume you're like almost at, at retirement age. Any plans to go in the weed business or do any more four twenty related uh, projects? Yeah. Yes, we're working on that stuff now. Sweet. Awesome. Um, yeah. And now that now
2: that uh, we're kind of either either retired or semi-retired, different levels for different Waldos, There's more time to be focusing on that, and definitely I'm spending more time on
0: that now
1: so you guys going to yeah, be developing your own strains or your own weed brand or something like that
0: that Possibly. could be possible we'll, if, but we're, we don't want to talk about that just yet
1: yeah i understand
0: go
2: to our website you know which is 420waldo's.com you go to the home page and you go down to new for 2023 brand new pages and updates you can start seeing a lot of the stuff that we get involved with and where we're going and stuff like that. So that we're constantly updating that Awesome. Uh, all kinds of things.
1: Great. And I encourage all of our listeners to, to go check it out. Um, so I just want to say th- the cultural impact of 420 on the cannabis world cannot be overstated uh, from TV and movie references like – the scoreboarded Days to Confuse, the clocks in Pulp Fiction, or the constant bids by stoners on The Price is Right, uh, mile markers being stolen off of highways— uh, actual legalization bills introduced in state legislatures with the, with the number 420 in them, uh, and not to mention, of course, the countless cannabis celebrations that go on every day and every year around the globe. 420 has become ubiquitously and irrevocably synonymous with cannabis. It's even been added to the Oxford English Dictionary. So you guys deserve a lot of credit. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but on April 20th of 2020, uh, my organization, the World of Cannabis Museum Project, partnered with the Cannabis Business Awards to host an online award ceremony called Four Twenty Icons honoring the one hundred most influential people in cannabis history. And you guys were on that list. I hope you have, have a chance you'll go and uh, and watch the video if you if you if you'd like. I actually have your award certificate in front of me right now. Uh, and I hope after the interview's over, you guys will uh, send me your address so I can finally mail it to you. Uh, and I hope that someday in the not-too-distant future, when we're finally able to open our museum, wherever it ends up, that we can convince you to possibly pull one of your amazing 420 artifacts out of that vault and let us display it in one of our exhibits.
0: That's possible. We could talk about that or a, yeah. a further time.
1: Sure, sure. Right. Well, uh, Waldo, Dave, Waldo, Steve, uh, it's been so much fun having you on the show and hearing your story. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me uh, and share your incredible story. And on behalf of all the potheads all over the world, thank you for giving us this beautiful number to rally around and call our own.
0: All right. Well, thank you. And uh, happy 420,
1: everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Happy 420, guys. Take care.
0: Okay. Thanks.
1: Bye-bye. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Canthropology. For more information on the World of Cannabis Museum project or to read our Canthropology blog, please visit our website at worldofcannabis.museum. If you'd like to contact us, you can hit us up on social media or shoot us an email at anthropology@gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this show, we invite you to go ahead and click the subscribe button, leave us a review, share it with your friends, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. A quick shout out to our great media partners, Cannabis Radio, Hayes Radio, and of course, Leaf Magazine. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you'll join us again next time here on Canthropology. Until then, this is Bobby Black, and I am history.